0: metcast sunday november 7th 2021 hey mac geeks it's time for your mac the show for mac geeks by mac geeks i'm adam and this is the show where we discuss all things macintosh how you doing welcome back to the MacCast. glad to be back here with you for a, another episode of uh, mac tips tricks rumors uh goings on in the community everything apple hope you are having a wonderful week um yeah today is uh, daylight savings time we uh rolled the clocks back. Not my favorite time of year. Also, how did we end up in November already? (laughs) Crazy. This year has been flying by, and we are fast approaching the end of it. Um, Looking over the show notes, yeah, we have a few things to talk about. Things are slowing down a little bit, winding down a little bit, but uh, we still have some interesting Apple news to get into. We're going to talk about ARVR Headset updates. I know we've been talking about those a little bit lately. Also, we have some... Various Apple TV Plus news. We're going to get into how Apple is going to keep uh, supplies up, especially for iPhone as we move toward the end of the year. Looks like we have some issues or possible issues with uh, some of the recent updates to Macs, Mac OS Monterey. We're going to get into some of those. Also, a little bit of follow up on something that we talked about like over a month ago, but some things are cropping up and We'll talk about what's going on there, and then Apple, uh, you might imagine or might not be surprised by, has been shipping a ton of computers, and we're going to get into those numbers. looking pretty good, um, again, as long as they can keep ahead of the supply chain, and that's going to round out the news, and then we're going to get into some follow-up on a few things. Um, We're also going to talk about uh, performance and answer some questions about uh, the new M1 MacBook Pros, getting some feedback from the community on those new machines. I've got a little tip for you on iCloud tabs, and uh, we're going to be hearing from some listeners' experiences recently with Apple and the Genius Bar and try and help out and uh, just have some conversation around that, and then talk about migrating away from a shared iCloud account and maybe some of the pitfalls that might be involved with that. So should be a good episode, but before we dive into everything, I do want to take a moment and thank a sponsor, and that is Nebbia, the Nebbia by Moen Quattro Showerhead from Nebbia. It's backed by some of the biggest names in Silicon Valley, including Tim Cook, and it's designed by former Tesla, NASA, and Apple engineers who spent years researching and developing a superior shower experience that helps save water. The Quattro is the world's best high-pressure water-saving shower, and for the first time, Nebbia is offering four spray modes, including two powerful high-pressure spray modes in addition to its popular Nebbia Spa Spray, satisfying all types of shower preferences. I got one of these Nebbia Quattros and it is amazing. My favorite mode is called the Angel Hair. It offers 150 streams of water. It gives me a great high pressure feeling shower while still saving water. And I live in California, folks, so that's key for me saving money on my water bill and they also have the soft spray mode which offers that spa like experience and i think it's great for soaping up while still staying warm right you can just switch over to it i went with the nickel finish on my quattro rain shower the finish is elegant it's soft to the touch the design and quality of this thing is amazing and i love how well it's in, how well engineered it is especially when switching modes the control slider On the side of the shower head is large, it's easy to adjust, and each mode locks into place with this really satisfying click. The Quattro comes in five beautiful finishes, so you can get one that fits your style and design. And while I went with the rain shower version of the Quattro, it's also available in a hand shower design. The Quattro offers Nebbia's easiest installation yet, I was able to have mine installed within just minutes of getting it out of the box. And Quattro allows you to save water without compromising on experience. Each mode saves 40 to 50% of water compared to a traditional shower. Nebbia by Moen Quattro starts at just $119 exclusively on nebbia.com. And Nebia gave us a special discount just for our community. Go to slash MATCAST and use the code MACCAST at checkout to get 10% off all Nebia products. Even better, Nebia is offering free shipping on quattro orders in the US for just a few more days. So this is a great deal to jump on. Again, go to Nebia.com/slash Matcast. That's N-E-B-I-A.com slash Matcast to check out what they have to offer and save 10% with the code MACCAST. And a big thank you to Nebbia for their support of the show. We continue to get more little details on Apple's upcoming ARBR headset. This time around, we have a research note from analyst Ming-Chi Kuo that was picked up by 9to5Mac. He says that future headsets from Meta, Apple, and Sony are all going to adopt new Faster Wi Fi 6e support. They need it because the faster transmission speeds and lower power consumption are going to be ideal for delivering AR, VR headset experiences. Apple's headset, as you might remember, is expected to be a premium priced offering. A lot of the reports saying somewhere in the range of about $300, or $3,000 US, and it will offer a mixed reality experience with both augmented reality and virtual reality. It is thought that Apple will deliver the new headset sometime in the fourth quarter of 2022 and specs are more like guesses at this point, but early rumors have mentioned things like 8K displays and custom Apple Silicon. I have a feeling Apple is going to be working very hard on delivering an integrated experience. It's expected to connect to your iPhone, so if it does end up having Wi-Fi 6E, that would also mean that likely new iPhones are going to have to support that technology as well. We don't have Wi-Fi 6E yet in the iPhone, but maybe the iPhone 14. I don't know if that means that you'll only be able to pair your new expensive Apple headset with a new modern iPhone, but that could be the case if this rumor turns out to be true. Uh, I don't know how you feel about You know, AR, VR headsets. I'm not sure I'm going to be an early adopter at $3,000. I think technology is going to have to come a long way unless Apple can really blow me away with the user experience and the use cases for it. Obviously, for games, it's going to be amazing. And the VR is supposedly going to focus on the gaming experience. I'm more curious to see what Apple does in the augmented reality side of things. But you know, to not be tethered to have it be wireless, it's looking like they are going to have to add this additional Wi-Fi six E support. So we'll have to wait and see. It looks like it'll be sometime again toward the end of 2022. Few things going on in Apple TV Plus news. First, Apple TV Plus has signed an exclusive first look deal with Meadowlark Media with the Meadowlark Media Production Company. MeadowLark was founded by a former ESPN president John Skipper and the ESPN presenter Dan Le Batard the production company will create premium documentary films and unscripted series for Apple's streaming service Apple TV Plus is also going to follow up on their Mariah Carey holiday special this year with the debut of a new one sometime in sometime in December It's going to be called Mariah's Christmas, The Magic Continues, and the 2021 special will feature Mariah's new Christmas single with Khalid and Kirk Franklin called Fall in Love at Christmas. Apple TV Plus also announced a new four-part sports documentary series that will focus on the life and career of Irvin Magic Johnson, Apple says the series will, quote, explore the remarkable accomplishments and global impact of Johnson's life both on and off the court. There currently is no release date set for the series. And then finally, Apple TV Plus has picked up a new executive, Aaron May, from 20th Century Television to serve as a senior creative executive, according to Deadline. May worked as VP of Drama Development at 20th Century Television on shows like Washington Black, Our Kind of People, Dope Sick, and Shots Fired. May will start work at Apple TV's Culver City offices on November eighth. And that's everything that's happening with Apple TV+. As you might be aware, the entire computer industry, actually the entire world really, is being impacted by a global supply shortage, also uh, issues with the supply chain and freight shipping, and Apple has not been immune to this. They've been able to kind of weather it a little bit better than others, but it is starting to take an impact, something they even mentioned at their last quarterly results call. Well, this week, according to Nikkei Asia, Apple may have come up with a way to at least uh, get past some of the supply chain issues with respect to the new iPhone 13. They say that Apple plans to reduce their... Supplies, their chip supplies on iPads so that they can focus or let their manufacturing partners focus, rather, on delivering more chips for the iPhone 13. The report says that iPad production has been cut by 50% and that Apple is also reducing production on older iPhone models to prioritize the iPhone 13. That does mean that iPhone 13 supplies have gotten a little bit better, but also that iPad lead times on Apple's websites have started to slip And Apple, as a matter of fact, added messaging to their site this week, reminding customers to shop early if they want to get products for the holidays. And that really is good advice. If you're thinking about getting an Apple product for someone in your life for the holidays, I would say you want to order it or get that ordered up sooner than later. Apple is also going to be changing up the loaner phones that they give out for lengthy repairs in the past if you took your iPhone into an Apple store and it needed to have a lengthy repair Apple would offer you an iPhone 8 as a loaner of course that's an older model at this point it's sounding like Apple is now going to be offering up an iPhone 10r instead something with a little bit more modern design no home button and a little bit larger screen so if you are doing a lengthy repair Uh, anytime soon on your iPhone, and hopefully you don't have to do that, but if you're in that situation, Apple's going to give you a little bit better loaner than they were in the past. Looks like according to 9to5Mac, there are more people out there reporting the your system has run out of application memory errors. Specifically, it looks like on a lot of the new Apple Silicon machines, the M1, M1 Pro, and M1 Max systems, although it might not be limited to just those models. Now, you might remember this is something that MacCast listeners noticed back in early September. We even talked about it, talked about a little bit of troubleshooting you might be able to do, checking and making sure that your hard drive has space, all those sorts of things, but With this 9to5Mac report, it seems like these issues may be a little bit more widespread. 9to5Mac noticed the issues in apps like Mail, Final Cut Pro, Music, and even inside the Finder. We've also seen the issue crop up with more heavy uh, processor-intensive and memory-intensive applications like video editing. But uh, right now, it seems like there's reports of this happening in other apps, and also potentially on Intel systems. And some folks are thinking it might be related to macOS Monterey, although we have seen these reports, as we did on the MacCast, with macOS Catalina as well. So it's a little bit confusing to... figure out exactly what's going on here. Uh, Also, with reports of older operating systems and older systems, it might not necessarily mean that, uh, you know, this isn't limited to some sort of issue with the new operating system or the new M1 Max, because the older reports could just be legitimate reports of Intel systems actually running low on system memory. So, you know, There could be a mix of reports, you know, now that this is coming up in our community, some people are getting false positives or actually being impacted by the issue, whereas it seems unlikely with the new M1 systems that you are actually running out of application memory just because of the whole unified memory architecture. It should be able to really handle it. And it's looking like there might be some memory leaks, those things going on, maybe with macOS Monterey. So... Don't really have any answers at this point, but I did want to bring this up because, again, we had talked about this. Some some folks in our community have experienced this issue, and it sounds like other people are as well. So if you're experiencing this, this issue, especially if uh, you think you've pinpointed it down to being maybe a new M1 system or maybe something with Mac OS Monterey, let us know about it. We'll keep on top of this. We'll try and figure out if Apple uh, ends up addressing this with a software update or what's going on here. But there is definitely something to this. It's not really clear at this point exactly how widespread it might be or how big of an issue it might be, but I'd like to kind of get an idea of it maybe from the MacCast community. And we'll just keep an eye on it. And uh, again, hopefully it's something that gets addressed here pretty quickly. And another thing to make you aware of with regard to Mac OS Monterey is we did get some early reports of the operating system update potentially bricking some Macs. Now there have been small isolated reports of this, but what's looking like is going on is something is happening happening specifically with Macs with Apple's T2 chips. And this is nothing new. Uh, There have been reports in the past with past operating system updates where if something goes wrong during the update or the update is interrupted, especially while performing firmware updates, that it could result in the machine not being usable. Uh, In the specific instance this time around, it's looking like some Macs are ending up uh, not being able to be turned on after running the macOS Monterey update. Again, this does seem to be small and isolated. Apple actually acknowledged the issue this week and uh, identified what the problem was and has rolled out a fix to prevent it from happening in future software updates. Uh, They rolled out an updated version of the Bridge OS firmware, which is what runs on the T2 security chip. So, If you have a T2 Mac and you haven't updated to macOS Monterey yet, that's probably a pretty good thing because you're going to get the patched version. Any users who were already impacted by this issue, unfortunately to get your machine back up and running, it sounds like you're going to actually have to contact Apple support for assistance, but they do have a way to help you out. I think it might involve actually having to take your machine in or send it into Apple uh, to get updated, but uh, hopefully not too many folks in our community got hit by this, uh, because, you know, that would stink to have your, your run macOS Monterey and have your Mac bricked. I haven't heard from anybody yet, but that doesn't mean it hasn't happened Probably now that I've mentioned it, I might even hear from some of you. Um, if you unfortunately did experience this uh, and you contacted Apple, let us know how they resolved the issue and, uh, you know, did did they take care of you? Was it a hassle? Let us know how that experience went, uh, maccast at gmail.com. But just another reason why, you know, sometimes not a bad idea to wait A couple weeks i still have not run my mac os monterey update i am getting close to being ready to do it but you know i always want to wait for a little bit of the you know initial bugs to sort out before i update especially a machine that i rely on for you know daily production weekly production of something like this podcast And then finally in the news for this week, Apple has shipped a ton of MacBooks. I don't think this is going to be too surprising, but this is pretty cool. New data is out from Strategy Analytics, and they estimate that Apple has shipped a record 6.5 million MacBooks in the third quarter of 2021, with the M1 MacBook Air sort of leading the charge. That's up 10% from 2020. They cite a return to the office and school, in-person schooling as reasons for the increase in shipments, and also point out that if there wasn't a global supply chain issue or freight shipping shortages, the numbers could have been even higher. Uh, the report also says that Apple now has a 10% share of the global notebook market, making Apple the number four laptop seller In the world. So great news for Apple. We're also expecting to see great holiday numbers from the updated MacBook Pros, the new M1 Pro and M1 Max systems. I know in our community, a lot of you are getting these machines. So again, if Apple can keep the supply chain healthy and uh, keep those numbers up, it should be pretty good. Although I would imagine that the numbers aren't going to be as good as they could have been if there weren't supply chain issues. But looking toward the future of Macs and Apple's chip technology, the site The Information says that Apple and TSMC are already looking to move to TSMC's new three-nanometer chip design process, although those chips may be delayed until 2023. We had originally heard that Apple might ship three-nanometer chips in 2022. It's looking like that's likely not going to happen. For 2022, they expect TSMC to use an enhanced version of their 5 nanometer process. That's what they currently use for Apple's M1 chips, and they will deliver an updated version of that M1 to help drive the MacBook Air, Mac Mini, and iMac updates sometime later in 2022. The performance gains are expected to be incremental. And uh, to get around that, Apple could do things like double the die count, especially for the processors in the desktop systems like the iMac. So it's basically what they did with the M1 Max over the M1 Pro, right? You just double the dies, you double the cores and and GPUs and all that sort of fun stuff. For the future 3 nanometer processors, Apple could design chips with up to 4 dies, and up to 40 CPU cores per chip. Uh, The new chips, the 3-nanometer ones, are reportedly codenamed Ibiza, Lobos, and Palma. And for this year, uh, for the update to the Apple Silicon Mac Pro, I think we've talked about this a little bit already, Apple is expected to do a version of the M1 Max chip, the 5-nanometer design, uh, where they double and even quadruple the die, meaning we could get a processor with up to forty core, with up to a forty core CPU and up to hundred and twenty eight graphics cores. It's going to be a screaming beast. It's also going to be massive and uh, probably require a little more thermal cooling than uh, some of the other designs we've seen so far. But that's to be expected in. A Mac Pro, and there still is the question whether or not we'll see an iPad or iMac Pro rather. Uh, I think that will happen as well with some sort of variant of the M1 Pro and M1 Max chips in that system. So it's going to be another exciting year for Macs. I am definitely looking forward to that. I'm also definitely looking forward to hearing more of your thoughts and impressions on some of these new machines as you guys get the MacBook Pros. So keep sending in your emails and audio comments and I look forward to those. But with that, that is going to do it for the news for this week. Before we move on, I do want to take a quick moment and thank another couple show sponsors, starting with Overland. You know, I think I mentioned this before. Something I've been trying to do for myself recently is make sure that I'm taking more time to kind of slow things down and enjoy just some of the small comforts in life. So hanging out with my family is a big one. You know, going on walks with the dog, getting away from the computer, just taking little breaks. And another big comfort for me is at the end of a busy day, slipping on a pair of Overland sheepskin slippers. I have their Men's Ethan Classics, and literally it's like wrapping my feet in clouds. I absolutely love them. Overland is a family-owned American heritage brand. They put comfort and quality first and have been doing that for nearly 50 years. They offer great outerwear, accessories, home decor all made from sustainable natural fibers like sheepskin, leather and wool. They use their expert craftsmanship to pair the highest quality merino sheepskin, which is naturally moisture-wicking, temperature regulating and antimicrobial with a supportive memory foam midsole in order to make slippers that feel better and wear better for longer. I have to tell you it's getting a little bit colder and having a great pair of warm slippers to uh, slip my feet into and just enjoy that comfort is great and the design and craftsmanship is outstanding as well. Something that really sets Overland apart is that they are one of the only brands in the world that use true double-faced sheepskin. So the suede you feel on the outside is the same piece as the fluffy sheepskin you feel on the inside. It's lighter and more breathable and means there are no synthetic materials touching your feet. Plus, you know you're getting top-quality material because it has to look and feel great all over to meet their standards. If you want a pair of well made, comfier than you could imagine slippers, these are the ones to get. And don't just get a pair for yourself, also get a pair for a friend or loved one in your life. These make a fabulous gift. Overland offers a 100% satisfaction guarantee, and their commitment to customer service is exceptional. So don't wait another day to slip into something way more comfortable. Get the best high-quality sheepskin slippers on the market at overland.com slash maccast. You'll get free shipping and free returns, and I recommend you go today because these slippers are so beloved that they've been known to sell out. So that's overland.com slash maccast, overland.com slash maccast, and a big thank you to Overland for their support of the show. And I'd also like to thank my sponsor, BetterHelp. You know, life for me can get pretty stressful at times, as I think it can for a lot of us. And sometimes you just never know what kinds of things might pop up or what life is going to throw at you. You have stress, anxiety, dealing with relationships, maybe family conflicts and other issues. These are all things that we have to manage. But with BetterHelp... You don't have to manage it alone. When you contact BetterHelp, they will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. It's done safely and privately online, so it's convenient and you can start communicating in under 48 hours. You're able to get professional counseling with timely and thoughtful responses, plus you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions. BetterHelp is available for clients worldwide and you don't have to limit yourself to just the counselors in your local area. Plus, BetterHelp is committed to making sure that you get great therapeutic matches so they also make it easy and free to change counselors if you need to. You can use BetterHelp to get professional counseling that's convenient and affordable. I want you to start living a happier life today As a listener, you get 10% off your first month by visiting our sponsor at betterhelp.com slash MacCast. Join over 1 million people who have taken charge of their mental health. Again, that's com slash MacCast, betterhelp.com slash MacCast, and a big thank you to BetterHelp for their support of the show. So I have a couple things to follow up on from previous episodes of the MacCast. And one of them is something, uh, it's actually a feature that I talked about in Photos, I think on the last episode of the MacCast, something that I discovered in iOS, I think was added in iOS 15, and it is called Visual Lookup. And it's this really cool thing where it uses the AI recognition in Photos to identify things like pets or plants. Um, I forget all of the categories. The two where most often I see are plants and and pets and basically will give you additional information from sources like Wikipedia and what have you right inside the app. And it's really cool. I saw it saw it on a picture of my cat and dog and I could tap it and it would tell me the breed of the cat and all this additional information. And I thought it was absolutely amazing. So I shared about it on the last episode of the MacCast, but I guess I should have checked uh, to see where it was available, because I received an email, and it turns out it's only currently available in the U.S., unfortunately, and thanks to Daniel for letting me know about that. I do hope it rolls out to more countries quickly. I don't know if it's just a language thing or why it's U.S. only at this point, but... Apparently, it is. So sorry if I got anybody excited about that feature and you weren't able to use it. Another thing that I want to follow up on is a little bit of the conversation. We're not going to dive deep into it because I think we covered this across three episodes, but uh, we've been having this conversation about product placement in Apple TV shows. And I think, I don't remember if I ever said outright that Apple was paying for placements. Um, or maybe it just seemed implied that Apple pays for product placements, but I did have Robert who wrote in to point out something, and I don't think I was fully aware of this, but uh, Apple doesn't pay for product placement. Um, they actually will loan out devices and products to production companies and do it readily and for free uh, for those production companies to use in their shows, um, but They do have to return all the products and devices after shooting, after they're done using them. And Apple does not actually give a financial like payout. They don't pay to have their products placed in TV shows or movies, which is really interesting. I always just figured that was part of how the industry worked, but um, no, Robert pointed this out and I did a little bit of research and as near as I can tell um, that policy hasn't changed. It's been in place for years and years. So, you know, (laughs) take it for what it's worth. Again, I think uh, most of us feel like Apple using their own products in their own TV shows and series isn't too surprising. Um, But again, the production companies are not being paid uh, to place Apple products in their shows. So just you learn something every, every day. And I definitely learned something this week about those product placements. So here's an interesting thing that's going on in our community, specifically with respect to the new M1 Apple Silicon machines. Uh, Darren emailed me, and he just upgraded uh, from an M1 MacBook Pro 13-inch to an M1 MacBook Pro 16-inch, and he has a little bit of a problem, but it's not the kind of problem that you'd normally think of Uh, his issue is that he can't get the fans to turn on on his new m1 macbook pro and uh, you would think that this would be a good thing but i think the concern is is like if they don't come on then how do you know the thermal system Actually works, and how do you know that before maybe your AppleCare runs out? Because as Darren was pointing out, he previously had this M1 MacBook Pro 13-inch, and he would note that when he was playing video games for like an hour and a half to two hours, and I'm assuming higher-end, more taxing video games uh, on that M1 MacBook Pro, the cooling system would kick in, and he could hear the fans. But he was noticing with his new system, uh, the M1 Pro. Uh, Chip, he can go two or three hours of with continuous gameplay, and the fans don't even come on. Uh, and so the concern was, you know, do they work? Like, am I just not taxing the system enough? What does it take to actually turn these fans on? I know, right? A good problem to actually have. And so he's been worried. You know, how do I how do I check this? And so that was ultimately the question he was asking me. And Honestly, I wasn't 100% sure. One thing I thought of is you could use a tool like iStat Menus, uh, which can actually show you the speed of your fans. Because I think a lot of times um, the fans in a Mac can kick on and just be running really, really slow, you know, at just a thousand RPMs or maybe even slower. And you wouldn't even notice or actually hear them, but they're still, you know, moving some air through the system and so you could look at the rotational speed of the of the fans and i would imagine also just even if they show up in istat menus that's probably a pretty good sign that the sensors are working and delivering data so i would start with maybe using something like istat menus there's other tools out there but that one's my favorite um, or you can just do something to really tax the system. And as a matter of fact, Darren followed up with me, and that's exactly what he did. He ended up downloading and using Cinebench from the uh, Mac App Store, which is a graphics benchmarking tool. And by running two consecutive 10-minute multi-core tests in a row, he said he could finally get some audible fan noise and actually verify that, uh, you know, his fans and his cooling system were, was actually functioning and working in his new system. And I just thought this was kind of funny. I wanted to share the story with you because, you know, it feels like an odd thing to worry about, but you know, when he explained why it made sense to me, right? You want to know that all the bits and pieces of your new system, of your new machine are actually working. But in the past, I would get the opposite all of the time. Like the complaints would be, man, these new systems, they have so much fan noise or they're getting so incredibly hot. I can't even keep it on my lap. It's overheating. Um, I'm the temperature's getting so high. I'm going into thermal throttling. It's affecting my performance. Um, and to be past all of that, I'm just thinking, what a wonderful time to be a Mac fan. Uh, no pun intended. Uh, but yeah, to to have these machines they're so incredibly efficient um, that you know the fans don't even kick in even under really high workloads and they stay incredibly cool. That's just a really really neat thing. great time to be uh, it, to to have new Macs on the market and just it's just a weird a weird shift in the kinds of emails that I'm getting and I wanted to share that with you and so Dan, Glad to know that uh, your mach- new machine is great and functioning just fine. Next up, I have something that was uh, pointed out by Justin. Justin sent me an email, and there's been a great feature in Safari uh, for a few years now. I don't remember in which version Apple added this, but um, if you're an iCloud user and you use Safari with iCloud, uh, you can have your tabs synced across your devices. So if you open up some tabs in Safari on your iPhone, you're able to go into Safari on your Mac and see those tabs being opened. You can even actually close them remotely and do those sorts of things. Um, but you can just open them right up. And in the past in Safari, the way you would do that that was there was a little tab button that uh, Little layered square, I think it was a grid icon, something like that. And you could tap on that and then you could see the tabs that you had open on your other devices and open them up. Now, with the latest version of Safari, the new update Safari 15, um, that little icon now takes you to the new tab groups feature and no longer shows you the iCloud tabs. So, in Justin's case, he was worried that maybe the feature was taken away or had gone, but it turns out that it's just a little bit more buried. iCloud tabs, um, again, is this feature that, if you have iCloud enabled, lets you sync your tabs across your devices. So now to get at them, what you have to do is a few extra clicks or a few extra taps because they're only located now on the Safari start page. So that's the page that comes up if you open up a new blank page or a new tab And it has a bunch of other features on it, like it'll show you your favorites, frequently visited sites, the series suggestions, uh, your reading list. It also has the new shared with you section. So if you're using that in messages, it'll have any links or URLs that were shared with you. And um, so what you can do to make it a little bit easier to access your tabs, your iCloud tabs, is you can uh, enable or disable what features are on that start page and you can even reorder them. So on iOS, if you open up a new start page and then scroll all the way down to the bottom, you'll see a little edit button and that will give you the option. You can toggle items on, and off, on or off and you can even reorder them. So I think um, you know, the easiest thing to do if you're trying to get at those new iCloud or the iCloud tabs is to maybe move the iCloud tabs feature more toward the top of the start page. And then also in these settings, if you use the use start page on all devices option, if you check that on, any settings that you make on your iPhone or your iOS device will be actually synced over to the start page on all of your other devices. So you can even sync all the settings, so you only have to set it up one time on one device. If you prefer to do this on your Mac, Um, you can, on the start page, just click on the little settings icon down in the bottom right corner. And then you can check or uncheck the features that you want and drag the items around in the pop-up menu to reorder them. So uh, that's how you can kind of tweak it and get back at your iCloud tab so they're not really gone. Um, They're just only available on the start page. Now, one other handy feature that you can do on the Mac is you can actually add the iCloud Tabs item to your Safari toolbar. So if you go under the View menu and you choose Customized Toolbar, or Customized Toolbar rather... Uh, there is a little iCloud tabs icon. It looks like a little cloud, and you can drag that up into your toolbar. And then once you've added it there, then you can simply click on the cloud icon. It will give you access to your iCloud tabs from your various devices. So it'll just be right there from a little drop-down menu. Unfortunately, they don't have that on iOS, so you still have to dig into the start page to get at them on iOS. But Uh, There you have it. Uh, That's how you can uh, find the missing iCloud tabs. And thanks to Justin for sending in that information and that tip. As I mentioned earlier, I have not updated to Mac OS Monterey yet, but I'm getting very close to wanting to be able to do that. And I know a number of folks in our community have updated. Um, and one of the things that uh, I know about Mac OS Monterey 2 is that not all of the features are necessarily available on all Macs. There are some features that have been reserved for the new Apple Silicon machines, And um, I know some members of our community are starting to uh, experience that as they do upgrades. And I received this comment this week from Stephen, who wanted to share his experiences uh, with that macOS Monterey update.
1: Hi, Adam. Uh, This is Steve, a longtime listener from Northern Ireland here. I've contacted you a few times in the past, but this time I thought I'd leave an audio comment. I recently installed the Monterey update on my 2019 iMac, which went smoothly and didn't really break anything. I was checking out its new features with a YouTube channel I subscribed to. Now, I already knew that quite a few of the new features were Apple Silicon Macs only, which is disappointing, but I guess they require the M1 Neural Engine. However, one feature I was interested in was the AirPlay to Mac, but it seemed to be missing on my computer. On further research, I found it was only available on 2019 iMacs and later, which I thought mine was, but looking in system information, I found it was a late 2017 iMac, despite me buying it in January 2019. (laughs) That's the old problem. Should have waited a little while. I find this very strange and disappointing as I have a third-party app on my 2015 Amazon Fire TV, which lets me have AirPlay capability so it can't be that technical or resource-intensive. Anyways, that, that is what it is. Then I learned that the new Erase All Content and Settings function But its menu item 2 was missing. I initially thought another feature I don't get. Then looking online I found many other users seemingly with this issue. Now it's not the missing features I am really annoyed about but Apple support when I contacted them. When I explained what I was seeing, I got a bizarre response of give it time it will sort itself out. I asked them to explain themselves. Did they mean reboot the machine? Were processes in the background fixing the thing? Or was it a known bug that was being worked on for a future Monterey release? The guy just repeated the same thing. This type of response I have seen before in the last five years from Apple... If they have known bugs, they do not like to publicly acknowledge them. I don't know if they have concerns about potential class action lawsuits or simply don't want to tarnish their public image. To be honest, Adam, I'm starting to think Apple support is getting not fit for purpose. I might rely on things like Reddit threads to solve non hardware issues in future. Anyways, I thought I would share my opinions on that. Thanks for the great show and keep up the good work. Hey,
0: Steve. Yeah, um, this one's interesting because it actually turns out that this is another case of a specific hardware issue or hardware limitation. Um, specifically, uh, I was able to figure out why you don't have the erase all content and settings feature on your Mac by reviewing Apple's own support article about this feature. I'll have a link to it in the show notes at MacCast.com. But um, basically, uh, system preferences includes the erase all content and settings only when uh, you're using macOS Monterey, which you were on a Mac, and also it's a Mac that is either an Apple Silicon Mac or a Mac with Apple's T2 security chip. It actually requires that feature to work. And so if this feature isn't available or it doesn't work on your Mac, then you are not going to see that option, which is what's happening in your case because the 2017 iMac does not have a T2 security chip. So that is what's happening in this case. But your point is actually well made. Uh, You know, I understand that um, it can be frustrating. You're calling Apple support and you're expecting them to be the experts. Um, And, uh, you know, this is a tough one for me because I know a lot of people in Apple support and Apple who work at Apple Genius Bars, and they are great people. And obviously, no one can know everything, right? You're not going to know everything about everything, and especially if a new um, a new operating system has come out or new technologies have come out, it might not be readily immediately obvious uh, what the issue might be. But, you know, that pat answer that you got that, you know, just wait, it'll sort itself out, That's that's not super helpful, right? That's not being helpful. And, you know, I'm not going to say that every... Apple genius or Apple support person is the best, or maybe they're not having the best day, like, I I don't want to make excuses. But I also think we have to remember that people are people, right? Um, But that said, it is kind of amazing that uh, the support engineer, if they don't know what's going on, doesn't take a little bit of time to look into their own knowledge base to see if they can find an answer for you, right? I think it's, it's not too big a stretch to expect that um, they might say, hey, I I don't know the answer to that, but give me a minute uh, to do a little research or check and let me try and find the answer for you. And even if they were just to do what I did, which is go to Google or go to Apple's support website to look for the answer and spend a few minutes, that's going to be a better customer, you know, customer service experience. And obviously your experiences are going to vary from rep to rep. Sometimes you're going to get a great rep and maybe sometimes you get one that's not quite as knowledgeable or just maybe doesn't have the experience of another rep, but, you know, they'll get there. I think you have to give them a little bit of time. And I still have to say, you know, even over the past few years, my experience has been that Apple still offers some of the best customer support out there. So, You know, I would say don't get too discouraged. Maybe even try and help them out. You know, if you find the answer on your own, share that knowledge with them. I do that many times. There's many times I've gone to the genius bar and I've taught the genius something that they didn't know. And that's how we all learn and grow. But, you know, I can certainly understand that frustration. That's not a great answer to be giving your customers. And they probably shouldn't be doing that. And so I guess the other flip side of that is, Maybe a way to make things better is to give some constructive support, right? I would imagine after you did your support call, you probably got a survey from Apple asking about your experience. I know I often do. And I would say, you know, just write down what you were feeling and try to do it in a positive and constructive way, um not a negative or condescending way. I I find that always works a little bit better, but just say, "Hey, You know, like it would have been a better experience if they could have found an answer for me or actually resolved my problem. and they, Rather than just telling me basically go away and just wait, uh, wait until a patch comes out or a fix comes out, uh, because they didn't even know at that point, you know, they didn't even know what your problem was and didn't really take the time to to find out. And they obviously easily could have through their own knowledge base. So I'm with you. I get it. And I definitely like to hear uh, more from people in our community if they're getting similar experiences. I, I'm going to guess that this isn't a rampant problem, um, that most of the time people are getting pretty good customer service from Apple Care, but maybe there is a shift, and maybe it's something we do need to be talking about. So thanks for sending in your experience and your comments, Steve, and uh, we'll have to see what others in the community are experiencing. So look forward to your comments and emails, MacCast at gmail.com. All right, last thing I want to talk to you about today is an email that I received from listener Bob. It has to do with uh, family sharing, or more specifically, iCloud accounts. And, you know, back in the early days, those of us who have been around and using iCloud for a long time, and I have to tell you, I've been using iCloud since it was called iTools. <laughs> so if you know how long that is, that's a really, really long time. But Many of us, when uh, we started out, we would share an Apple ID or an iCloud account uh, with our families, and Bob has been doing that with his wife for years, but recently had the need to separate their accounts. So his wife got his her own iCloud account and it's not too hard to do. I've separated some of my family members. My wife and I still have to go one more step, but you know, you can separate it, get new iCloud accounts and mostly everything will work. Mostly everything will be okay. But in Bob's case, he noted a couple of um benefits that they had when they were sharing an iCloud account that they are now missing now that they have separate accounts. And one of those is syncing of contacts. So, you know, spouses might just share contacts, like my contacts and my wife, wife's contacts are pretty much uh, the same. And rather than having duplicate copies of them and, you know, syncing, it's kind of nice when you have an integrated account. And another really big one, and I think this is kind of a, a big one, is photos, right? If you're sharing an iCloud photo library or a photo stream, that means that whoever takes the photos on their device, you know, whether it be my iPhone or my wife's iPhone, um, that your photos would get mixed together in a single sort of family library. And it didn't really matter what device they were shared on. And once you split that up, um, then what you have is like my photos are my photos and my wife's photos are her photos, but in, in a lot of cases, they're photos of my kids and my pets. And those are photos that I want, right? I want, I want to be able to see those photos. Um, but they're separated. And, and my wife, this really, really does frustrate her. She's like, how can you have all these great photos that I don't have? And Apple doesn't make it super easy to kind of share them. And I've often said that I think it's a big misstep that, um, at least in the family sharing ecosystem there's not this concept of a family photo library where you can easily you sort of integrate and share this sort of family album and any photos taken on anybody's device in the family go into that central library feels like apple could come up with a solution for this they haven't yet um and so you know bob was wondering what can we do is there is there some way to kind of have this experience or are we just out of luck you know what are some options and i have to say right now There are some kind of workarounds, but they really do feel like workarounds. Like I said, I'd really love to see this concept of a family shared album. Um, But for now, kind of the options you have are one, to use a shared album. I mean, Photos does have the concept of a shared album, and you can invite people to share your album. You can even give them permissions to add and edit photos from a shared library or a shared album. And You know, that's pretty neat. It has cool features, like you can comment and, and you know, put reactions on a photo and stuff like that when you share it. But the downside is that it's a pretty manual process. So while you can, you know, mark an image and say, hey put this in the shared album, then it goes out to everybody who's sharing in that album. If they want a copy of that photo, they actually do still have to manually save it back to their library or copy it down. You know, when it's shared, it's just sort of shared in the cloud, I guess, in 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 a respect. But if you want to keep a copy, you have to make sure that you manually do that and add it to your library. Now, a way around that, you know, if you just want to get a photo, say, from your wife's phone onto your phone, a great way to do that is to use AirDrop. And we use AirDrop all the time. You know, I'll take a photo and my wife will say, hey, can you send that to me? And I just AirDrop it to her right there. Again, it's a little bit of a manual process, but the nice thing about doing AirDrop is it goes right into your photo library. So you get a copy of it. You do end up with duplicate copies. Obviously, I have one copy in my library and my wife has one copy in her library. But, you know, the advantage to that is it's kind of like another backup. So, you know, that's that's a good thing. And that's another way that you can kind of share your photos um, between two different libraries. Uh, and so there's that. And then the last thing that I could think of is you can now take advantage of the new shared with you feature in messages. And this is actually really great because um, you know, we share photos all over uh text message all the time. We have like a family group chat and we'll share photos with each other or just individual chats And, um, by enabling the share with you feature in messages, those photos automatically show up in my photo library. Now, again, they're not downloaded to my photo library. You actually have to take an extra manual step to pull that in. But at least when I open up my photos, I can see all the shared with you photos and they're just intermixed in with my standard library and they'll get a little cloud icon. That's how you know they're a shared with you photo and you can definitely download them. Um, you can customize if you haven't turned on the shared with you option, you can customize that inside the messages app. So the way you enable it is you go into messages and then you tap on the conversation that has the content that you want to, uh, share or have shared with you. You tap on the name at the top of the thread, uh, for the person who is sharing, and then you can turn on or off the shared with you options. And then when you tap done, that content, if you've enabled it, will show up in the respective location. So photos show up in the Photos app. If uh, someone shares a link with you, that'll show up in the shared with you section in Safari, like we talked about earlier. If they share a piece of music with you from, say, Apple Music, that'll show up in your Apple Music library. Uh, It's a really cool, neat new feature in iOS 15 and macOS Monterey. And so that's another way you could go, uh, Bob. But again, you know, all of these things are really kind of, in my mind, workarounds that don't really get you to this true concept of like a shared family library. And that's something that I hope Apple does consider or think about or is looking into and maybe is a feature we get at some point in the future. But until then, there's a couple of workarounds I could think of. I'm sure folks in our community have uh, thought about this probably a lot more than I have. And maybe even there's some third-party workarounds or third-party apps or other ways to kind of solve this problem. And I'll be curious to hear from you uh, if you have solutions for Bob. So if you have something that's working for you, please send us an email or an audio comment, maccast at gmail.com. But with that, that is going to do it for this episode of the MacCast. Before I leave you, I do want to thank my show sponsor, Smile, makers of Text Expander. You can get more information and details on that by going to textexpander.com slash podcast. Bandwidth for the MacCast is provided by Cashfly. You can find them at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com. And all advertising on the MacCast is handled by BackBeat Media. They are at backbeatmedia.com. As always, I love hearing from you. If you have a comment, a question, something you'd like to hear covered on a future episode of the MacCast, you can send your emails and audio comments to maccast at gmail.com. You're also welcome to call in on the listener hotline and leave a voicemail. That phone number is 281 622 4269 281 mac 9 And if you need show notes, links to anything i talked about on this or any other episode of the MacCast, you'll find, you can find them on the website. That's at MacCast dot com. And finally, if you want to follow me on social media, you can find me on Twitter, twitter.com slash MacCast. You can check out the MacCast Facebook page over at facebook.com slash the MacCast or find me on Instagram, just MacCast on Instagram. But that is going to do it for now. Until next time, I will talk to you all again real soon.